What's up, Chad? What up, Josh? Just chilling. Yeah? Uh, doing anything fun lately? Well, I, I went on a little trip. Um, Illinois, right? An illegal trip, maybe. <laughs> I don't know the full letter of it's the law. It's not illegal. But we'll, uh, well, it wasn't socially distanced. We went to visit some friends. And, uh, man, the weather up there was amazing. But it was less than 10. It was 11. I was a little kid. Oh. Pushed just over the edge. Pushed you over the edge. Well, <laughs> well, I think, you know, if everybody's healthy and everybody's cool, then I don't know. I'm not going to pretend to know what the government <laughs> would say to that. Yeah, who knows? You didn't get arrested. So there was. Fine. We passed through one state. Uh, I think it was Arkansas or Missouri. Um, it said no, like hotels will not allow out-of-state visitors. Mm-hmm. Especially Louisiana. <laughs> Especially. And we had just booked a hotel. Like, I did it on my phone, like. That's hilarious. An hour before. Anyways. Um, then we I are, booked a hotel, and then Britt's like, we're going to drive all the way through. And so we drove all the way through. Did it. Darn. Great. Well, Illinois, you're making me think about our guest today. But really, Yeah, it was like an hour from Chicago. Yeah. And the other thing that made me think about our podcast today was you've been – Seeing any of the Bulls documentaries out on ESPN? What's it called? Uh, it's called The Last Dance. Oh, yeah. No, I've, I've been seeing a lot on social it's media. about the 90s it Bulls and really kind of circling that very last season, all the turmoil between, like, poor leadership and all kinds of stuff. Went uh, front what happened stuff. with that? Just, we probably can't get into it. Yeah, it'd be too long. But yeah. if you haven't seen them, they're great. Watch them. But it made me think about our guests today. You're going to Illinois and be watching those because... Illinois. Is, it's not noise. Illinois. Not Illinois. It's a silent ass. Illinois. We'll have to check with Sam, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not from there. <laughs> so, um, But our guest today is our pastor, Sam Sfrincioni. You do. Uh, one of my best friends and uh, partner in crime when it comes to uh, comes to uh, planting churches and doing ministry and, and all the stuff that we do here at the field. And uh, he grew up in Chicago. His family owned a bunch of businesses, and even he even around that same time of that Bulls championship run, uh, the Chicago Bulls sponsored some of his dad's restaurants, and so I got to meet Scotty Pippen and some of those, wow. those guys in the restaurants. So you'll hear some of that in the in the interview today. I've definitely heard him over some hardcore fights at MJ's. Like, cause you know it's like MJ <laughs> or LeBron who's number yeah. one, and, and Sam has sold me. And I don't watch basketball; I never did. Listen, but he sold me that MJ was. Yeah, the best. anybody who thinks LeBron is the best. Um, is it because he just doesn't have the same championships? It's not even championships. It's just watch MJ play, watch LeBron play. It's just not a question. Was LeBron in documentaries at all? No. Oh, I heard he, like, sponsored it or something. Maybe he did, but I didn't see he, The two that I've seen, there's only two out right now that I've seen. Yeah. He's, there's, like, ten of them total. I think they're letting them out. The question week. is, does LeBron know that he's number two? Should. Well, I mean, you got LeBron's, Kobe, too, though. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Kobe, right now, is more... Well, I don't know. We could get in that whole debate. When you get, when you're talking about the upper echelon of greatest players, there's like these minute details right. that make them a little bit different. I mean, they're all because there's the teams they played with, the championships they had. Like guys like Kobe, guys like LeBron, guys like Michael Jordan. They're they're in a totally different conversation. But in that conversation, it's still to this day. Anybody who's played basketball, you listen to NBA analysts, they'll all tell you it's still Michael. Right. <laughs> it's like. Muhammad Ali, like Jordan, Muhammad Ali, like you, those types of yeah figures. They're just once in a lifetime type people. I love Ali. So just even watching the documentary, just watching Jordan, it's just like yeah, 
you, you remember. Yeah, he was the greatest of all time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he played against the Boston Celtics, considered one of the best championship teams of all time. In his uh, couple years in, he made the playoffs, and they lost the series, but he scored 63 points in one of the games and 49 in another. Like, he was, like, tearing Against, them, like, a uh, dynasty. Against a dynasty by himself. Right. And he uh, he took the game, one of the games to overtime by himself. Like, you know, one against five. I saw one little clip from the show where, I guess it was the show, the coach was telling him mm-hmm. he needs to trust his team. And they found like the open guy, and he yeah. sh- he scored a three, and like won the game or something. Yeah, I don't know. I just thought it was cool to me. It like, oh wow, like find the guy that like trusting your team. Kind the thing, of thing about Jordan is Jordan was the greatest, but Jordan wanted to win at all costs. Yeah, even with like he even wanted his teammates to care as much as he cared. Uh huh. You know, because um, what you can say about Jordan is if somebody else hit the winning shot, he's out there jumping on them just as much as he would have been. Yeah, on it for that's awesome. I think we can all learn from that. Yeah, and and honestly, there's a lot of similarities to our boy Sam. Um, so I was about to say yeah. that, like, Sam has this incredible like thirst for vision and like change and like doing things better and mm-hmm. right, which I love. And I fought him on them multiple times, but like in the <laughs> end, I always come out just really appreciating it. But he does not care about the glory or recognition or anything. Like he wants to push other people up and. And almost have them recognized, but it's all for like a bigger vision, a better vision. Yeah. So I've definitely noticed that with him, and it was cool interviewing him, getting to know his childhood a little bit, yeah. and like what kind of formed him and made him, and then watching God work in his life, like and how he came to the Lord is just inc- like I was like on the edge of my seat, like is he gonna believe? And like obviously <laughs> he does, but like it was still I don't know, it was just like thank thank God, yeah, you know? it's awesome. Great. It's a great story. Um, you guys are not going to be disappointed. So without further ado, check out the story of Sam Srincioni. Hey guys, welcome to the Change Up Podcast. Josh and Chad here. This is where we talk about culturally relevant topics, but we look at them through an honest gospel worldview. Let's get it. Today is the day of humidity. It's back. Humidity? It's back. Like, have y'all not noticed? Oh, yeah. It's hot. Holy moly. It's not just hot. It's, it's like, like temperature hot, but it's a muggy. cloud for sure. It's like we had three weeks of reprieve and then it found us, like, mm-hmm. hiding. Yeah, it was so nice for the past two weeks. Yeah, like, doors were open, windows open. Like, yeah. Now it's just, then this so, morning it was like, oh. Probably because it's, yeah, yeah. Well, didn't it rain last night or something? Uh, rained and then, a and then it brought nights ago. Yeah. Felt like it just brought it in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're in the swamplands, boys. Good and hot. Well, today we are interviewing Pastor Sam. Hey, Sam. Hey, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. Chad's over there licking his coffee cup. That's it was, weird. It went to. Uh, I got. I, I filled it too full, as as, as you noted on yeah. our social media. That was funny. <laughs> All right, so today we want to get to know Sam. Um, well, let's just start with, we all know you're from Chicago, but um, let's start there. So what part of it? Like, tell us about, what's it like? Like, we're from Louisiana. You're from farmland, Kentucky. Yeah. What's it like growing up in the city of Chicago? 
Chi-town. Well, I grew up with a family that owned a business in the city of Chicago, so that was pretty unique in the sense of um, I was integrated into that society a lot, just the the city life because of my family. Um, I grew up in a place called Portage Park, which is um, near Wrigleyville, and I spent some time there until I went to um, to school, like I think like a third grade or something. And then once I went to third grade, we moved out to the suburbs. But mm. so up until up until then, it was like in the city. And then from there, we were like the first northwest suburb outside of Chicago. Um, but that's where we spent all of our time, like hanging out in high school and middle school. We'd be we'd have our parents drive us to the city or we would then go into the city. But how far away was it? Um, Park Ridge, like to cross the Chicago line, maybe 10 minutes. Oh, that's not bad. So, we wouldn't take the train. We would take the train a lot, but uh, all of us were these rich uh, young kids who's who had awesome cars. Their first, very first cars at sixteen years old. Gotcha. So, <laughs> Sam was one of those guys. What was so, your first car? A Ford Expedition, but it was a brand new Expedition that had like bucket seats, TVs in it. Yeah. Wow. What was the one Leather that you had seats. when I met you in college? So Trailblazer had- SS. Yeah, that's right. And I'm not a big car guy. I just wanted a big car, literally, to put all my friends in it <laughs> and, and go different places. So right. I had this white Ford Expedition, brand new, and uh, and we just used to go into the city all the time. So, yeah. But your your family, you said, own restaurants. You know, many <clears throat> many people listening know that we've been friends for a long time. So I'm going to try to learn new things. But you've mentioned to me before that you all had some sponsorships with like Chicago Bulls, mm-hmm. things of that nature. Mm-hmm. Did you guys get a chance to hang oh, out yeah. with like oh, yeah. Michael Jordan, Scotty Pippen? When we had, yeah. Kind of oh, yeah. When we had, uh, we had uh, seats consistently and we had Scott, you know, the uh, boxes consistently. And then even when we'd have grand openings for the restaurants, that was the coolest mm-hmm. part. Like Tony Kukoc would be at our grand openings. <laughs> nice. Uh, I used to love Tony Kukoc. Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. I think they because just, they like, actually just named him the top three yeah. uh, of, uh, I don't know, whatever. What's the three players called? Uh, like a big three? Like the best big three of all time? Oh, of the Chicago they Bulls? Said they, well, of all time. They said it was okay. Pippen, Jordan, and Kukoc. Okay. I don't know why they added Kukoc Never heard in that it. name. Yeah. Tony, you don't remember Tony Kukoc? Mm-hmm. I don't know why I know they added the Kukoc in it, but mm-hmm. I would argue Rodman, but they said Yeah, Kukoc. I knew Rodman. Like, he was <laughs> yeah. more popular. Yeah. But I, I would say growing up, I loved the Chicago Bulls as well as many people did because of Michael Jordan. Obviously, you had, yeah, you know, front row, yeah, um, exposure to all that. But yeah, they were right there. And like again, we have grand openings. Like a new restaurant would open one of our family's restaurants. You'd open it like a soft opening, and then you'd have a grand opening. Right. We'd have you know Chicago Bears players. We like Brian Urlacher came. Nice would come. Uh, you know, so you ever get like Mike Ditka? <laughs> you know, Mike, he was a. Uh, I was born in '85, so uh, that's when that's was his uh, glory days. Yeah, '85. But um, we have family photos on the wall of this one restaurant that we have with like Walter Payton, Tony Kukoc, Scotty Pippen. You know, those people mm-hmm. like just uh, pictures of them. So that's is this, cool. Is this something your dad built from scratch, or was it handed to him as well? <clears throat> no, my my dad moved from Sicily when he was. Uh, when he was just a boy, his brothers and sisters were a little bit older. Mm-hmm. And uh, my grandparents, actually, uh, they own uh, 
a uh, successful like um, grocery store, so to speak, mm-hmm. in Sicily, mm-hmm. in Italy. And then when they when they came over, they I think my my grandpa saved a little money, worked for Radio Flyer for a little bit. My dad was a boy when they moved again from Sicily, so so they had small kids and they were they didn't go right into the res- restaurant business right away. But my grandpa in Chicago worked for Radio Flyer for just a little bit, and then he went and started a business. He went into partnership with a business, mm-hmm. and then um, that business. Uh, I think it was uh, another restaurant, and then they started from there. So my, I think Subarosa, which is like the main restaurant group that my family owns, happened probably when my dad was a, a little boy. Uh, he tells stories of being like, you know, five years old, mm-hmm. making pizza or making whatever, like at the at in the back of the kitchen. Yeah. So, but th- that was kind of like a whole family journey, so to speak. Like they all moved here. They mm-hmm. were all, I think. Even his youngest sister was born um, at that point, and then, and then they had all started. Kind of just went through it with the fa- as a family. Mm-hmm. So that's awesome. So <clears throat> we're all about mindsets here um, and trying to think through what creates a mindset. And so you have a very unique upbringing in the sense of hardworking parents. Because um, you can explain, you can talk a little bit more. But I know that you had to work in the restaurants growing up too, like that side of things, but also uh, exposure to things that most kids don't get to do, like, you know, being a part of the Bulls and seeing, you know, players like that come in. And, you know, you already mentioned having, you know, some uh, some resources, you know, that a lot of kids don't have their hands on. And so talk to us a little bit about all those things together. How, how did it shape your mindset as a kid? Like, well, as you, if you, as far back as you can think, like what was your mindset on life um, yeah. about yourself? I think it was formed by a few different things. I think my mindset was there, there was some always, there was always some kind of moral um, standard that I wouldn't let myself go beyond because I had parents who were like mm-hmm. work hard, old school, traditional Italian. Um, it, it, even if it was just out of guilt or out of like, you know, that's the the type one in me was probably established yeah, right, in that in that area, right? Um, just the was there the, also religious? Uh, yeah, like there was Catholic. Yeah, there was Catholic Catholicism that mm-hmm. wasn't followed too much, but but there was almost this guilt if like you went uh, out of out of the uh, boundaries mm-hmm. of that. So there there was good in, in that that protected me. Like y'all kind of had a family <laughs> code of conduct that everyone adhered to for the most part. Or li- at least you wanted yeah, to. Yeah, a little bit. To. And even if I just felt bad because I, I wa- didn't want to be guilted or mm-hmm. get in trouble, like I remember, you know, and it didn't always work. Like I remember walking into the restaurant one day, it was like two in the morning, I had just been arrested. And my whole family, like I'm talking aunts, uncles, cousins, et cetera, are sitting in the restaurant. I just got arrested. We just oh, got in a God. fight. I got salt poured in my Expeditions <laughs> gas tank. <laughs> I mean, it was bad. How old were you this time? This this was probably fifteen. We had we had gone to somebody's house. We had like fifteen people with them, us, yeah. and they had fifteen people. It was just a major brawl. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I diverted, <laughs> but no, it's okay. We went into uh, when I went into the restaurant that night. Like it was like a whole family mm-hmm. sit down, right? So that kept my my moral compass uh you know straight a little bit um because i had friends that just had no moral like there was mm-hmm. no regret there was no guilt there was no like i want to do what's right right so that was one aspect of my mindset while at the other t- the other side 
it was, you know, extremely just hedonistic, you know, and, uh, you know, that word's become Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways cliche, but it was just true. Like I just sought my own pleasure in everything. And you felt like you, maybe you had a little bit of privilege too, like the ability to to do whatever you wanted. Oh yeah. And so I could always figure out how to get what I wanted, Mm -hmm. whether it be, um, through my family, whether it be, you know, just through the, uh, the, the money that my family had, whether that be, uh, working hard enough, whether that mm-hmm. be uh, in mischief, you know, finding a way around right. rules or around something, and, you mm-hmm. know. So that was kind of like my mindset. And uh, it was just pleasure-seeking, still had a moral compass. And, uh, and you know, pr- I'm, you know, at that point, so, pr- like, prideful. Mm-hmm. And yet, I was, I was kind. I mean, I, you know, but I wanted to have fun every day, you know, Um so I, I don't know if you would describe how you would categorize that kind of mindset, but well, it sounds like, um, and I know you, and so I'm just taking notes while you're talking to come back to you later because um, I want to see how the gospel has reshaped it. But it sounds like it, that's where that kind of nothing's impossible mindset was yeah. developed a little <clears throat> bit, like because mm-hmm. you always felt like you could do whatever mm-hmm. in, in a lot of ways, right? Mm-hmm. And in some ways, you could, yeah, you know. Um, yeah, if there's if there was any possible way that I could get what I wanted, I would figure out a way to do it, and um, and yet I I and so you know and that's why drugs got involved. That's why a lot of different things got involved because I was just pleasure seeking all the time. Mm-hmm. But again, the thing that I think saved me to some degree was a level of a moral code that mm-hmm. I wouldn't go pat like I wouldn't right in simplest forms like. I wouldn't do the really bad drugs. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. I wouldn't hang out with the really bad people. Like and I wouldn't stay go away from trouble with the laws as, as possible, as much as I could. Yeah. If right. you know, if I was getting if I was getting in trouble with the police, it wasn't because I was in Cabrini Green. It was because I was What's that? like the get the really dangerous part okay. of Chicago. Like mm-hmm. it was because I was mm-hmm. fighting a kid from from high school or something. Yeah, from high school. You know what I mean? Something like that. So well, also you know that kind of. You also uh, participated in sports mm-hmm. growing up. What were your top sports that you you uh, uh, participated in? Football and wrestling, and uh, obviously, like all of us, you know, you have we have all have some regrets from our <laughs> high school glory days of sports. Not wrestling. Uh, some who are listening? It's not no, WWE, not WWE, like Olympic style. Um, <laughs> wrestling. <laughs> I played football since I was real young. They used to call me Scissors. Yeah, because my because <laughs> I, I always brought a pair of scissors. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> because my because I was I was the like I was the fast one. That's what they knew me. So my coach said my legs move like scissors. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So that's what I was known for, even up through high school. But um, but I I stopped football at in my sophomore year, and. Um, and the reason why I did that is because I, if I were to go back and be honest, it was because I wanted to party mm-hmm. and drink and do drugs and hang out with my friends. So I only wanted to play one sport year mm-hmm. round. So I chose wrestling. So I stuck with wrestling and graduated, mm-hmm. you know, still a wrestler. But but I wish I would have stayed with football because it was it was a sport that I was always successful at as a running back. Mm-hmm. So but wrestling was still a great sport, and I had a lot of success in, in wrestling and and had a, you know it was a it was something that it was up my alley because it was a lot of determination. Mm-hmm. You were out there alone on the mat. So, like, it was a lot of uh, personal challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, you're cutting weight all the time. You were. Do you think you're yeah. driven by the personal challenge more than, like, a team challenge? Or I, I would say probably. 
I mean, there was probably a level of like uh, the Rocky Balboa mindset, mm-hmm. the um, the uh, Vision Quest. Did you watch it yet, Josh? Yeah, no. Oh, Josh. <laughs> Tell, tell uh, me what Vision Quest is because I haven't ever it's seen a, it. It's, a, it's just an old school 90s movie, but it's about wrestling. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, it's like the it's like the Top Gun of, of uh, right. wrestling movies. The G.I. Jane. <laughs> <laughs> the G.I. Jane of Navy Seals. Uh, so anyway, I, I mean, I don't know how much to go into that. I feel like I'm just... <laughs> no, do it. But wrestling and football. And uh, my wrestling coach was also my football coach growing up. So there was, his, his name was Craig Falico and, and his son, Nick, uh, he was a great wrestler. He wrestled at Michigan State. Uh, they would go to state um, every year. My coach was, and he was he was a motivational guru. Mm. Like that's where uh, it's what also coupled with the like the whole Rocky idea and like kind of my motivational thought is he he was my coach all the way from Pop Warner football like mm-hmm. early years all the way through wrestling, and he was a Spanish teacher at the high school. Right. So I was very close. Uh, him and him, him and. Uh, his son and me were best friends, and then mm-hmm. he was my coach. But he would write stuff on the wall about mental toughness, about, mm-hmm. you know, that was like, I mean, every single day, like it was motivational quotes, mental toughness, mm-hmm. no well, that quit. Stuck with you. Oh, yeah. He was one of the most influential men in my life. Wow. And, uh, and so I had this perfect like conglomeration of my, my family kind of being that motivational type of th- thing, like my coach being like that. Mm hmm you know, the things that I was into, stuff like that. But when you kind of witnessed, I mean, well, not not fully witnessed, but it was so new to you that your parents had just come from Sicily, Mm -hmm. like just relatively. Right. 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 That they had just started from from nothing, essentially, as immigrants and had built up this, um, like this empire. I don't know if you'd call it an empire, but... (laughs) I mean, in a lot of ways, in the the Chicagoland area in the 90s Mm -hmm. and the 2000s. I mean, now there's... You know all the new restaurants that are taking over, but right, but yeah, in the nineties and the- so you you got to see that not firsthand, but you know what I'm saying. Like mm-hmm. it's very recent in your family's heritage and history to watch something come from nothing to yeah. This it wasn't big like thing. it wasn't like when I was that age; it had been a hundred years ago, right? Right. That I, that my family had done that. It was yeah. relatively recent. They were still building the business, right? Correct. And they had that DNA in them. Yeah. Of like you can work hard, start mm-hmm. something from the ground up, make something happen. Do you have siblings? Mm-hmm. Well, I, they're half siblings because my when I, my parents were never married, but when they split, I was I think I was um, I can't remember how young I was, but I I have memories of that time, so I know that it was it was at least a mm-hmm. time when I could remember. But then they both remarried, and so my mom remarried and had two girls, and then my dad remarried and had uh, three girls and a boy, so five sisters and a brother. Mm-hmm. But my family was so close, and even my um, even my, uh, my stepmom, my mom, for instance, they would communicate. Um, and so it was that, and they weren't too far. They were about 30 minutes further Northwest from the city of Chicago. And so I, we would see each other very often. Right. So it, it kind of felt like we were all siblings and yet I was so much older than the mm-hmm. next closest one yeah. that I felt like I was an only child as well. So right. And you also had both. a different upbringing, yeah. it seems like. Oh, yeah, very different. Yeah. Like, they were, in a, they were in a much more sheltered... My parents had kind of figured some things out from raising me for the past, um, you know, 15 years before they were born, 16 mm-hmm. years before they were born. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe maybe less. I don't I forgot the distance between me and my next sibling. But... Um, 
But yeah, it was very different upbringing for them. <laughs> well, looking back on all that, like from sports to just childhood and all the um, mischief you got in as an adolescent, what are some of your bigger regrets? Obviously, you know, just looking back, yeah, like obviously, no question. I'm, I'm sure you think God used it all to form you who you mm -hmm. are today, but what are some things you wish you would have done differently or um, had not done that you did do? I think, uh, I mean, there's so many that, that I think that I look back on, but probably, um, you know, one of them being the sports world, like I told you guys, like mm -hmm. if I could go back, you know, I would have taken that seriously because that would have taken me well through college. Mm -hmm. Um, I was I was good enough by natural talent to excel in both of those sports. The only problem was I would leave practice and, and right. smoke a, a joint, mm -hmm. like literally within minutes, you know. Right. So and or before a meet or after a meet, and you're wrestling, which is one of the most, uh, mm. you know, cardio cardio driven heavy. sports. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Smoking. <laughs> so, but you're young. Yeah, yeah. But even in that, you know, is something that. So I think that's one of the things. I mean, not that I live vicariously like through the fact right. that like I sure I could have, but I just it would have been probably been wise. Mm -hmm. um, probably relationships in high school, like you kind of always feel that it's in that environment. You kind of always feel like you need a girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Like everybody feels like that, mm -hmm. you know. Like, and so you you go into this unhealthy relationship, you break up, and then you go into another unhealthy relationship, you break up, and it just was. Like, if I could look back, I'm just like, man, I would have been so much happier just being on my own. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. yeah. For sure. I can relate to that. Like, if sure. I would have had a clear mindset oh, yeah. and actually saw the big picture, I would have just stayed single and yeah. just did yeah. my thing. Most, no time you're just, yeah. most time you're just doing it for status more than anything else. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Or do you feel like you need it? Mm -hmm. Um, I would have definitely, and this probably opened up another can of worms, but I definitely would have, you know, changed my relationship with my mom in the way that, I moved out right away, right when high school was ending. I mm -hmm. moved out because all I wanted to do is work for my family. All I wanted to do was get on my own. I wanted this apartment in the city of Chicago. Mm -hmm. You know, the idea of the flat yeah. where you can oversee the city mm -hmm. and the right. wood floors and the modern, whatever. That's what I was going for, right. you know? And so right, kingdom. Yeah, so right away when mm -hmm. I left high school, I moved into an apartment, you know? Mm -hmm. I was working for my family, managing, bartending, et cetera, and... Uh, and so I just did that. So when I moved into that, but that's when everything really spiraled downward in my life. And so mm -hmm. I think I would have definitely changed that at that point. Yeah. I would have not. Was your, was your relationship with your mom good before that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was really good. I mean, basically I, I lived with her. My dad was, mm -hmm. my dad was, a, you know, a workaholic in a lot of ways. He's a teddy bear and the sweetest right. guy you'll meet. But he, I mean, the dude worked. You yeah. know, so he would go to work, the restaurant business, especially you go to work at like 7 p.m. Mm -hmm. and sometimes earlier, 4 p.m., you right. know, um, if you if you got up early enough, maybe noon or something. But he wouldn't rarely wake up before noon mm -hmm. because you're then working till Two, three, three, four in the morning, mm -hmm. right. you know, and that's just the that's that's the cycle. Right. So so in that case. I I was very much so with my mom all all the time, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, and it was a really good relationship. She was a nurse though, so she had hard hours too. She was a ER nurse, right? So she would, um, and she was an ICU nurse, and so like in the times that she was nursing, like it was like she didn't have a choice. Sometimes it was bad hours too, right? Anyway, so that relationship was really good. Mm -hmm. We lived right across the street from my high school. And, um, 
and then and then it was it was kind of when I got too big for my britches. Like I was like, mm-hmm. I you know I want to do my own thing. I want to make money. I don't need anybody. Mm-hmm. I'm going on my own. I was I was high, you know, every moment of every day. I literally I woke up, right. smoke smoke weed. I go to bed, smoking weed, and everywhere in between. Mm-hmm. So and that was for like a year and a half period. Were you like a lone wolf, or did you run with a posse? I was both. I mean, it was a little bit of both because no one else worked for my family that I hung out with. It was, I mean, I had friends all throughout high school that would come intermittently, like, work for my family. They needed a job. They'd come work in the restaurant business for, for a year because yeah, right. they needed, like, I could get anybody a job at any time. But but I was also in this world with my family and a bunch of people who worked for my dad's restaurant who were young that I would hang out with. Mm-hmm. And then I would have my friends from high school. And so I'd kind of transfer. And in the process of the transfer, I was a lone wolf in the sense, you know, mm-hmm. I'd have to go home, get ready for work, go, come back, whatever. But I was high all the time. I wasn't, you know, seeing my family a lot. My mom was was there, but she was working a lot. And then so long story short is after high school, when I was mm-hmm. like, I'm going to do this on my own. And whatever, move into my own place. In that period, yeah, I just started burning relationships everywhere. Mm-hmm. It was it was bad news when I moved into by myself. <laughs> Gosh, because was it because the um, the goal of getting all the stuff that you wanted took place of relationships or anything else? Is yeah, that- yeah. You know the old adage in the biblical counseling world. You know, mm-hmm. people are either you know in that idolatry people are either a pawn to get what i want or they're in my way right to get what i want right you know so that was, that was where you were at at that point yeah and i didn't realize that but sure. i would release anything that wasn't you know i had the vision that i was going to be downtown in the city rich you know making millions right which is very possible for my family right you know with the with the prettiest girl there is mm-hmm. in the condo flat and living that yeah. like that was the American. Nothing was going to get in your way of that, and I didn't see any option outside of that. I right. never knew anything different. Right, right. So that was what. Also, you're just driven like this is what I'm going to do and what I'm supposed to do too. Exactly at the same time. But what I realized was that I don't think I realized that I could like you. I think what I realized is just I couldn't like even if those were the circumstances. Mm-hmm. My mental, emotional. And what we would now know as the sinfulness inside of me right. can't even take it. Right. Like what you put you a famous that? person. Oh, well, yeah. now I reflect. Right. Like okay. you, you take a famous person, you give them all the money, all the right. opportunity in the whole world. You take it like a Britney Spears or something, mm-hmm. right? She can't even sustain it because of the sinfulness inside of her. Right. You, it, it's not. It doesn't end up like you envisioned. Mm-hmm. Because you're gonna mess. You're gonna wreck it. It just melts you down. You're depressed mm-hmm. half the time. You're like. There's just no way to right. even get come into that like fullness of what right. you expect. That stuff doesn't save you; it enslaves you. For yeah, sure, and it doesn't time. satisfy you. And mm-hmm. you, you know, the again, the biblical counseling thought the problem is not the problem; you're the problem. Right. 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 So, like, my heart is the problem. Mm-hmm. So, like, even if all my other circumstances are fixed, mm-hmm. like even now, like with the coronavirus, notice, like, we're not busy, we're not going to work. Why do you still struggle with the same things you struggled with before? Right. Work wasn't the problem. Right, your you, schedule wasn't the problem. Right, you you're got, the problem. You got time now. <laughs> Can't escape you, know? you. Yeah. So when did it shift for you? The or did you become a millionaire with your flat? Like at some point it shifted. <laughs> oh yeah, moved directions. You, obviously you, sit, you obviously not have a flat in Chicago and you're not rich. I obviously know you're sitting here with us. Well, and, <laughs> you guys wonder what I do oh, on the weekends. Fortunately, <laughs> right. <laughs> it shifted when my mom died. Um, so 
I was living on my own at that place at that time when I when I was telling you about and um and it was bad news. I mean like it was like so bad that like sometimes it was like you know a b- bunch of people would be there. I mean I had friends in the bathroom doing ecstasy. One of them had put his whole his head through the wall on accident. He fell. I had girls over there on the balcony smoking joint. I mean like every mm-hmm. like there was 20 people inside that thing. Like, I mean, that's what it was like. And yet I would still go to bed at night mm-hmm. depressed. And I would still wake wake up in the morning depressed. Mm-hmm. Did you feel like you were crossing that moral threshold that you had set for yourself? I think that that was part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good insight. I think it. like I, I wanted that, but it was conflicting with the moral code. And I didn't want to cross over that line but i was and so my type one you know at the time was probably like feeling the weight yeah. of that and yet i still wanted my idol so did, did that ever impact your work like was work suffering too from all that yeah but i could i could get by fake it because i could go in there high and and mm-hmm. bartend or manage a restaurant yeah and leave. like you know so so i w- there was no pressure on me at work mm-hmm. it was know? easy like you handled that out of your flesh easily. Yeah, and because also, like, I didn't really mm-hmm. care about it. Like, that's one thing about working for someone else. That's why I can't, it's hard for me I to imagine I can't see you doing, doing something you don't really care about. Like, just yeah. knowing you, I can't see you involved. <laughs> well, that's why it was hard for me to even, outside of that, go into something, like, that I wasn't, that I didn't start myself or wasn't leading myself. Because, like, if I'm living my whole life building an empire for another person or, like, another and that was sanctified into if I go my whole life into building something that's not for God, the kingdom of God, yeah. you know, th- it feels pointless. But it still felt like that at that point. So I didn't much, much care about that. But right. I remember the night before my mom died. So I was in my apartment. A bunch of people had just left. I was talking to my mom. My aunt had just seen like 50 Cent downtown and they were go- do- joking about it. I don't mm-hmm. know why. It was mm-hmm. just, I remember talking about that. <laughs> it, was, it was random, you know. And uh, I was going to go see my mom in the morning. It was the night before Easter, Sunday. Mm-hmm. She was out at my aunt's house, which was about 45 minutes away from where I was. And she was sleeping over there with my sisters. And uh, But at that time, our relationship was pretty bad because I would go back to Park Ridge. She would do some things for me that I needed to get done, like some laundry, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I would treat her like crap. And then I would yell at her because at that time, she was really struggling with alcohol and in a place where like, she was, she was, you know, she would be functional during the day. Mm-hmm. And then about five o'clock, she would drink herself mm-hmm. into a, a deep sleep, mm-hmm. you know, with wine. And my sisters would be all over the house. I was yelling at her at, about that while I was still having my own problems. Right. right. And then we, so, so, so our relationship was not good, not because she did anything. She had struggled with alcohol my whole life and I watched it. But it was because I was this like prideful, I'm going to do this on my own and mm-hmm. I'm going to judge you because of what you're doing. So I started yelling at her because of all our alcohol stuff. It was just a bad, bad period of time. But we had just talked because we still loved each other. And we, of course, we still had a strong relationship at the core of it. It was just circumstantial, I think. Right. Um, and I was going to go out and see her. And the next morning, mm-hmm. you know, I got up late. I was, I was uh, tired. I, I think I, you know, had you know, party the night before or something like that. And uh, it was like 11 o'clock. I think I was, supposed, I was supposed to be out there like in 30 minutes or so. So I'm getting ready to try to hurry out the door. My, I remember my stepdad called me. And uh, and 
and I can't even remember exactly what he said, but he said something like, Sam, your mom, your mom didn't wake up this morning. And I was like, what? Like it took a minute for me to register mm-hmm. for it to register, you know? And then I remember just yelling at him. I was, you know, mad. And I threw my phone through the glass door of my balcony thing and, uh, you know, watched that shatter and, and then found another mm-hmm. phone somewhere, called my, my dad, my stepmom answered and she's like, what's wrong? What's wrong? You know? Mm-hmm. And then she gives it to my dad and, and he's like, what? You know? So, mm-hmm. so then he's coming to pick me up and I'm going out there and <clears throat> it's just everything in that moment began to sure. instantly change. <clears throat> so shock, I'm sure. Yeah. Shock. I remember sleeping at my aunt's house. She wasn't sick. It came out of nowhere. No, she wasn't sick. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, she, it might've come from, uh, uh, years and years and years of alcohol, mm-hmm. you know. Right, no way to know that. There's no way to know yeah. that, but no, her electricity shut off in her sleep. So, so anyway, anyway, so then I remember sleeping at my aunt's house times like that, and mm-hmm. and I just remember asking myself, how can the, how can I, how am I going to be able to deal with this thing because it's so permanent? Mm-hmm. Like this is, not, I cannot figure out a way for this to get better. Right, no fixing mm-hmm. it. There's no fixing this. It's permanent. Mm-hmm. And your hedonistic nature is like. Yeah. I have to feel good about this. How can I? Yeah, and plus I good? had terrible habits, so mm-hmm. I couldn't just stop my habits in that moment. Right. So to cope with it, I'm smoking weed. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like those are my habits, you know? And uh, I'm still trying to go hang out with friends because, I, you know, while at the same time I'm crying like when I'm by myself. And mm-hmm. and like, so it was just a huge mess. No one knew right. how to help me. Right. Like I had family who meant well and cared for me. We sat down at my family's house and they would make food and we would mm-hmm. uh, talk and people would cry. But when I would say, how am I going to get through this? This is permanent, et cetera. I mean, what was the advice they were going to give me? Like, right. yeah, it'll get better. Yeah. Time, so time I had, heals all. all yeah. Kind of so I had no, I had no, mm-hmm. uh, no, like felt very alone at that time. Sure. Cause I knew in the back of my mind, it can't help me, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. You knew that there was nothing like that was going to heal it or make right. it feel better. Yeah. So what did end up helping? Because at some point, obviously, um, we know the story changed. So how, how did you begin to uh, change or seek the Lord yeah. at that time? Well, because no one could help me, um, I felt very alone. And, um, and I had a friend who um, had gone out to play. I had, I had uh, gone to a couple community colleges during that course of time that I had just described to you. Mm-hmm. And um, failed out of them. I couldn't. I couldn't think straight because I was high all the time, and so I would like, I would just be done. But mm-hmm. I remember, even during those years, talking with my buddy Joe, who had gone out to to pl- play baseball at EKU, a college in Kentucky, Eastern Kentucky University. And yeah. I remember talking to him about his college experience, et cetera. Well, he was my best my best buddy. He had come in for my mom's funeral, and. Um, and we began to talk and Joe, a ba- little backstory, he was with me through it all. Mm-hmm. And he was, if not, uh, as, as crazy as me, he was crazy, you know, crazy. Yeah. Um, he came from, a uh, the, the, a different part of the city. He, uh, was poor. Mm-hmm. Um, he hung out with the gang members and he was a physical anomaly. Yeah. He was like, I mean, you remember him. Oh Yeah. I mean, well, I've got some stories about Joe, our very first week of college that I'll, I'll share in a second just to give, because that's where I, 
yeah. in this story a little bit, but he's like through a glass through a car window. Oh yeah, something. well he's he who he is in your story when he comes to your funeral. Yeah, it, it, God had definitely changed the guy. Yeah, but time. but imagine imagine <laughs> right. that Joe that you knew before. Right. That's what, who we were growing up in high exactly. school. Exactly. Yeah. You know, he got suspended from middle school for mm-hmm. stabbing a guy in the pe- stomach with a pencil. Oh wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, so, like, picture better. <laughs> yeah, his mom was severely obese, mm-hmm. and so he was all, he was poor. He was on food stamps, but my mom was a friend of his mom, and they became friends after right. Joe and I became friends. She took care of his mom. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes changed her dressing, like the the wounds and stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, and Joe and I partnered up. I remember it was in it was in wrestling. Um, my freshman year mm. and he came up to me after our last tournament of the season and he I remember him being in this like like this uh, wife beater that was like <laughs> that was uh, um, it was it was like yellow yeah you know it was like supposed to be white it was yellow mm-hmm. and sweat stained yeah and he was just he was from a different breed mm-hmm. right my friends didn't associate with guys like that yeah you know um. and he came up to me and said hey do you want to hang out like do you want to exchange numbers he was trying to change a little bit in, in that time. Yeah. But he looked up to me. And my family was different, very wealthy, et cetera. So this friendship came to pass, and I would give him my clothes. Yeah. I would give him, like, stuff like that. And we would be buddies, and my friends wouldn't like it because they were threatened by Joe. But I'd bring Joe around all the time, and right. no one could mess with him because he was crazy. <laughs> right. <laughs> he, would, he would mess you up in a second. <laughs> so they didn't like it, he, you yeah. know. But anyway, like, and then we would work out together, Bailey's Total Fitness in Chicago. <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah. know. If you guys knew that, it was like a huge chain. Anyway, come come high school, he had ruined his scholarship to go to University of Chicago to play baseball. He ended up in Cabrini Green on the fourth story, smoking a crack pipe. Mm-hmm. And the cops found him and said, what are you white boy doing here in mm-hmm. Cabrini Green? He brought back to the coach and the coach revoked the scholarship. Uh, he was the best catcher in the state of Illinois. Mm-hmm. He was unbelievable. And our high school was huge and had a lot of recruits going into colleges. It was yeah. 8A. Yeah. We won state championships and everything, et cetera. Yeah. So he went out to college to play baseball because they literally were going to pay everything. Yeah. Food. Yeah. At EKU. Yeah. At EKU. Like, I mean, he didn't have oh, to. Oh, even s- after that incident. Yeah. So, okay. like, books, Well, because it, it's a D1 school, but it's like, it's like Southeastern in the sense of, like, getting those types of recruits are tough. So, yeah. you get a chance, you take a chance on a guy like Joe. Yeah. Sure. And, he, you know, they were going to give him everything. So, he went out to, base, mm-hmm. to EKU to play baseball. I was left back there in Chicago. I was doing my thing. He was doing his. Mm-hmm. And then when my mom died, he, he grabbed a, a baseball player's. Uh, another baseball player's car mm-hmm. and came back. Did that guy know it? Yeah, yeah he didn't steal it. <laughs> yeah. He didn't steal it. Uh, but this he, had also, him in he had also he had also a girlfriend. <laughs> he had a girlfriend in high school, and uh, that lasted into his early college years. So he was like, it was a good opportunity for him to come back for see his girlfriend. He's come back from my mom's funeral, right? But out of like my loneliness, going back to where we were, um, and no one being able to help me, like it was easy for me to confide in Joe. Mm-hmm. And so Joe began sharing the, I remember he, he just began sharing the gospel with me. He, when he came back from my mom's funeral, I had never seen somebody changed like that. He wasn't all the way there yet, right. but I had never seen someone change so much in my mm-hmm. life. And he kept asking me, come to EKU, come to EKU. What are you going to do? Come to EKU with me. Come to EKU with me. I mean, every party we went to, I mean, everything. I just mm-hmm. feel like, Joe, stop. Like, I would literally say, stop. Like, I don't know, maybe, you know? Right. 
But he began sharing the gospel with me. I remember I was sitting down, and this sounds silly, I was sitting down in front of a computer screen, listening to, like, uh, they made Eminem produce these songs when Tupac, after Tupac died. Yeah. And it was, you remember that? Yeah. They were, like, digitally re- mm-hmm. recorded. Yeah. And they would talk about, like, heaven and stuff. And Joe was trying to share the gospel with me. I mean, he had really come to know Christ. Right. But I'm, I'm, but that's my only filter is what Tupac said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. So I'm asking him, is right. this true? Is this true? Right. Is this true? Like, is something about like, you know, right. God's got a place for those who smoke and drink and whatever. Like, I'm, and he's like, no, I, you know, I don't think that's true. Here's what. And so like it started the gospel right. journey for me, but I confided in him and mm-hmm. eventually Joe went back to EKU, but he came back from the summer because it was like near the end. It was March or April. My, my mom died at the very end of March. So he right. was back a couple months later and we picked right back up when he began to share the gospel with me again during that summer and started mm-hmm. asking me to come to EKU and we started those conversations again. Yeah. So <clears throat> that's that when awesome. it began to change. Mm-hmm. You know? The seeds began to be planted, right. which is so cool that God used him, but he also used you in your in your morality, like extending kindness to him, even against like your peers, like, right. you know, like it was probably ridiculed that you were re- like extending kindness to this guy. Yeah. And yet because of that, now he's at your mom's funeral sharing the gospel. So right. God mm-hmm. used you as a sinner in that, in that mm-hmm. sense too. Yeah. If I would have never, awesome. if I would have never, yeah. t- you know, extent, you know, stuck with that friendship and it was out of a good, like it was out of like, I love Joe and I wanted, I wanted to be a good friend to him. Right. You know? Right. And at the same time, no one could mess with me if Jeff Joe was around. <laughs> well, I just think it's cool that you led, you led up in that way. Like, even though your friends were like, oh, it's not cool. You're like, no, I'm going to do the right thing. Yeah, you know? yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm. I think that was, again, the moral compass in me. Like, yeah. I knew it was right. Or and your I, mom was doing the same thing. Yeah, yeah, I felt, I felt something for Joe. Like, because my friends would trash talk him bad. Like, they would say he's weird, he's this, he's that, whatever. But no one would ever say it to his face because, again, he was big and crazy. <laughs> and so, like, but I knew it was the right thing. So I kind of felt this in my heart thing for Joe that I actually would feel bad when people would do that. And, and yeah, I think that was that same kind of moral compass. Yeah, I or, think yeah. that's awesome how God used that. Yeah. Yeah, and Joe, I mean, he's definitely a great example of someone that God radically changed. To, yeah. Like how did you know Joe? So you Joe, <laughs> Joe and I randomly, it's so funny how it all came together later because I went to new student days. Um, when were you I, all the same year? Joe and I were. What about Sam? Uh, I came in the year same, after. Same we were the later. same age, but I just didn't come to college right. the right. year after. Your and community so, college credits didn't transfer. <laughs> well, I'm a little bit older than Joe because I went to community college for one year before I figured out what I wanted to do, and then I ended up Matt Mofield. Uh, but you and Joe me. came in the same year exactly. of college. Yeah. So he taught me into coming in, and so... We're there at the same time doing the like new student days. They have like different events and different stuff. And Joe's coming in as a baseball player and all that kind of stuff. I got a fraternity recruiting me. So for like the first two weeks, we became like fast friends. And Joe and I hung out every day and went all kinds of places. You didn't mind that sweat stain. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was, Bring probably, it on, I was baby. wearing one too. <laughs> you still wear those things. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I, I tell my pack. Like, like, where do you even find them? You just them? go <laughs> buy. We're Marie. Go buy him some new white feeders. <laughs> I, I kind of like out of principle. I'm like, no, they're still good. You know? <laughs> I don't think you're supposed to call them white feeders either. I know. What tank tops. Tank tops. Uh, yeah. But tank top is a different no, what thing. Ribbed tank top. No, it's a. A shirt. Yeah, they used to call them where I was from in Chichicago, no joke, Dago Tees. Dago Tees. You know what they call Italians? Dagos? Dagos. Okay. Uh So So Dago Dago Tees. All right. 
That's what the <laughs> And you think you think that's a joke, but that was just normal lingo. Yeah. It's a Dago tea. That's awesome. So yeah, Joe and I, we were we were great friends and both of us at that point, a lot like where Sam was, you know, hedonistic, chasing all kinds of stupid stuff. So we were we were good buddies and I remember going running across a field to a baseball party one time, random. I don't even know why we were running. Like Joe was just like, "Let's go to this party." And we just went. On <laughs> like, it's totally Joe, you know. <laughs> or uh, we went to the New Student Days thing. They had a um, what's the one that uh, the hypnotist and yeah. Joe. Joe went up there and they got hypnotized <laughs> Tarzan, and he went nuts. It was hilarious. <laughs> I was like, and he came back. I was like, he, bro, you're putting on a show. He goes, what are you talking about? I'm like, seriously. Oh. <laughs> See, the thing about Joe is he just didn't. He hadn't. He didn't have that um, that thing in him that cared what other people thought at all. Oh, he did. Yeah, like no regrets. So, so there wasn't like anyone around him who would like see him like he would. He was totally free in himself. Like he just didn't have that mm-hmm. that hesitancy because of what other people might think. Right. Right. Yeah, so no guilt. So but, but that didn't do him very well because I had like I said I had that. Right. He didn't which caused it caused sure. him to to sure. go further in things without fear. I mean, yeah. He you know took I think like 32 triple C which was cough medicine one time. Like you're supposed to take like eight if you want to get high oh, like no. and abuse him. Oh, and his stomach was pumped, but he just had like that was the type of kid he was. He just didn't care, you know. So he was on his deathbed right. with triple C because he had no fear. Like this was the same Joe right. even then at EKU after he come to know Christ, mm-hmm. he changed and it was used for good. But yeah, but even but the, when I met Joe at New Student Days, Joe definitely had a, a, like I can understand why you became friends with him because he's definitely a sweet guy. Yeah, definitely was like fun to hang out with, lighthearted. It wasn't like, he wasn't like rigid. He just would do stuff. You're like, I, what were we doing right now? Right. Where is this <laughs> going to end up? <laughs> and, and I was just crazy enough to go along with it. So I'd find myself in a situation with Joe. I'm like, I don't know if we should be here anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was fun. And then yeah. we kind of parted ways. And then later on in Camps Outreach, we all met yeah, each other again. Good. So, but, but at that point, Joe had come to the Lord. He'd come up to you, your yeah. funeral. And so, He's sharing the gospel with you. He's trying to get you to come. He leaves. Comes now, back. He we work in the Taste of Chicago, which is a is a huge like million person festival. Mm-hmm. It's like there's the, Chicago's got this thing called Lollapalooza. They have yeah. the Taste of Chicago. So like you got like sixty seven, maybe more, a hundred restaurants out in the middle of Michigan Avenue where the streets are closed off. They have booths right. and and they have like a few select things on their menu, and it's seven days straight, mm-hmm. and it's just millions of people there. And so I used to run the Taste of Chicago every year for my family. Right. And I used to have all my friends work for me. And uh, so we were downtown in the middle of the city for seven days straight working from morning, like 6 a.m. till night, 10 mm-hmm. p.m. And it was fun just because we were outside. You got like Usher playing behind you because the music stand or you got right. these famous people. And so Joe was playing with me and I mean, working with me. And he kept, you know, dripping the gospel, kept sharing stuff and and eventually we sat down and I just started the application process to EKU. I, I just didn't understand everything still, mm-hmm. you know, but I, I kind of wanted God now in my life a little bit. And yet, um, and yet I didn't know really what that meant. And I was applying to EKU. Yeah. So there were times when I was really angry at God, but God was on my mind. Like mm-hmm. one time we took a cab, we, we ditched this cab after we got drove from the city all the way to where we were. And we ditched the cab, mm-hmm. and I remember we had, all got split up because we just didn't want to pay, so everyone ran. Right. When you get out of the cab, <laughs> <laughs> all right, ditched the cab. Yeah, right. yeah. That's what you did. <laughs> and so I was walking. Can't do that anymore with Uber. That's I was right. walking down the middle of the street, and I remember yelling at God because my mom's dead. I mean, I'm cussing, swearing. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm yeah. mad, but I was thinking about God. 
you know, right. because Joe had introduced that. So we sat down, we applied. What got you to finally take the step of application? <clears throat> Obviously, you're wanting God, but like, why? I just why move to Kentucky? I just wanted whatever. I wanted to, to change, and I didn't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. And I was around a bunch of people who it would be impossible for me to change, right? Because it just, it just, I was so engulfed in the culture, right? Like it would just be so hard for me, I think, to, to get out of that, stay out of that, not care what my old friendship group thought, and go on a trajectory where there was support towards knowing the Lord. Mm-hmm. Plus, I didn't know anything about that, like how to do that, right? So I just wanted whatever Joe had, and so I. So we sat down and applied, and it was late too. I made a decision late. I remember trying to get letters of recommendation from different old coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember going to my high school and asking for you know letters of recommendation. I remember going to my family, et cetera, and I got accepted last minute. I wrote actually a, a like a a letter of explaining why my grades weren't good, explaining why. I hadn't, I had not done well in community college and explaining my mom's death and just, oh, like, here's another chance. I'm going to just try to figure out a way to get into this school because I know I probably wouldn't be accepted if, mm-hmm. if they went straight on my stuff. So I wrote this long letter explaining and like basically pleading mm-hmm. and I got accepted, but they didn't, it was so late. They didn't even send me the letter. I had to keep calling them and they said, yeah, you're accepted, but, but this is like late application. Like the school starts in like two weeks. Mm-hmm. It was like almost August already. And so my dad was like, I don't think this is a good idea. Your mom just died. You're not emotionally healthy. Right. I knew I was like, no, this is a good idea. You just right. don't know what I'm pursuing. But then within two weeks, we had packed up everything. Mm-hmm. And I was in the car. I went out there before Joe because of the new student days, stuff like right, that. Right. And I was at EKU. Before I knew it, Joe was still back in Chicago. He wasn't coming for like two weeks. And, and now here I was in Kentucky. You know, right by yourself at that by point. myself at that point, yeah. So what's going through your mind at that point? When you're at that yourself? point, it's like at that point, I got these old habits. Fraternities are trying to recruit me. Mm-hmm. They're calling me Chicago. That was like the nickname for my <laughs> for whole freshman year right. from everybody. And and then uh, I got these bad habits. So I got roommates. I got people I'm meeting. I got fraternities inviting me. Right. And I got girls around me. Like I got these bad habits that I just I don't know. I I had no power to kick. Right. Well, at the same time, I knew I didn't want to go all the way in any of those directions. Mm-hmm. So I would dabble in those directions. But I was like, I really want God and I really want my life to change. And I had this sorrow in my heart for my mom and I wanted what Joe had. And yet I was like conflicting because all these people were inviting me to their parties and mm-hmm. wanted to be friends. And these, you know, it was like, it was this mixture. And so like, it just took a slow progression of like, Joe came I started meeting the campus outreach guys, Peanut, who's in Baton Rouge, even yeah. right now. He's friends with Casey. Um, and he started, you know, like Will Witherington, the guy who really right. discipled me. I started getting around these guys, some of the other baseball players who part of campus outreach that were coming to know Christ. Right. And then I began to separate myself from all of those other, like I finally officially turned down the fraternity that was trying so hard to recruit me. And like, and... I, but I still didn't understand the gospel then, but like I was beginning to separate myself. But I remember I would sneak in back because we were friends with some soccer girls and stuff like that. And they just didn't know my lifestyle. I would sneak in back and smoke cigarettes because like I still had these like, so I was standing behind the dorm. Mm-hmm. I would be hanging out with the campus outreach guys. I'd be dabbling w- with other people while still smoking cigarettes because I couldn't kick those habits mm-hmm. and yet still wanting 
my life to change. I mean, it was like, it was a grind mm -hmm. every day mm -hmm. for me to fight that battle. When I'd go home for like holidays, I'd go back to smoking weed right. with my friends, but I'd feel bad and I wanted my life to change. I just literally did not know how. Right. You know? So what was drawing you to the campus outreach folks? <sighs> I just, because I wanted to change. Okay, I, so that was, I didn't you saw want, that as a, yeah. a gateway to that. To God, yeah. Yeah. My moral compass or the, you know, again, going back that type one, like yeah. I felt it in my stomach that like I didn't want bad anymore. I didn't want it anymore. Mm -hmm. and, I and I knew my life, my life could end at any moment. I felt like I was on the verge of dying because right. I had so much drugs in me all the mm -hmm. time. And my mom had just died. So the death, reality of death was real. Mm -hmm. I didn't think, I think I could die at any moment. And then, so I'm like, I want to know what's like, I want to pursue what's really important, which is something to do with eternity. And, and every time I was in sin, like with people or places or things, like I would just feel this like overwhelming mm -hmm. sense of guilt in my stomach. And like be, God was beginning to, I th mm -hmm. you know, do that. But then I still had these bad habits. And so I was just, I wanted to change. I didn't want death anymore. I wanted right. life. I wanted to s smell that fresh air and the sun to shine on my yeah, face and yeah. be healthy. But I wanted God too. And I remember I didn't know anything other than Catholicism. So I would ask the people what was called the Newman Center at that time. It was a Catholic organization. It was right by, right. I think right by your do your dorm. No, not right by your dorm. In my, my old house. Right by I'm Marie's saying. old dorm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember over by that little. Yeah. Was that Wallace? Yeah. And uh, there was this Catholic center on campus. I would ask the guy because there would be one student who lives in there. And I was going to those services on the weekends. I was being discipled by like investigative study by the campus outreach guys. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and so I would, and then I would like throughout the week, I would ask the guy who lives in the Newman center because right. there was one student who lived there to leave the door open at night and he, cause he would be in his room. So he would leave the door open and I'd go there like midnight with nobody there. And this was like for probably six months straight. And they had this big, you know, the Catholic places, they had this, mm -hmm. this huge cross with Jesus on this cross. And I would sit there night after night for six to eight months. Mm -hmm. And I would just like by myself mm -hmm. and just like ask, like I wanted to know, like I didn't know what to do except to just sit sure. there and like talk to Jesus and tell him to tell me like, what is going on and what do I do and yeah. whatever. I remember then meeting with like the priests there and saying, these campus outreach guys are telling me this, this is what Catholic says. Like, mm -hmm. like for instance, will, will, you know, will I, you know, do I pray to my mom? You know, they say that I shouldn't. Right. Because here's why. And they weren't like, you know, they weren't, you know. Um, uh, Competing. Yeah, they weren't like being, trying to be, you know, mean to me. They were just helping me understand truth. Right. And the Catholicism, the guy, <clears throat> he just he would just answer with his thoughts. Right. And I'm watching them show me in the scriptures, mm. you know. And right. so that was, that's just like a microcosm of how this whole progression was happening mm -hmm. in college. And um and I just began to be more and more and more involved in campus outreach. And, and I, don't, I don't remember any time particularly making it a profession of faith. Mm -hmm. I just knew everything began to click. Mm -hmm. And I was reading the Gospel of John. I was memorizing Bible verses. My life was changing. Mm -hmm. I was breaking bad habits. I was separating myself from those who would be influenced. I was still making mistakes, but I was, I, my life was on the trajectory of change. Um, 
And then I think it was probably summer project. I went to campus outreach summer summer project when yeah. I, I think that's probably I would if I could put my finger on a time and a you know when I passed from death to life. Yeah, the gospel had just clicked at a campus outreach summer project. That following summer. The following summer, going into your sophomore, sophomore year. year. Correct. <clears throat> so then, how did the gospel start to reshape your mindset? Like. Your mindset comes in, you you have kind of the, you know, some things we talked about already, nothing's impossible, um, work hard, visionary, go, visionary, moral, all that kind of stuff. How did God reshape that in a way that, that helped you move towards him versus towards your own goals, your own, your own things? Um, I think, I think that it, so the, you know, it, it God sanctifies. He He changes everything for His good. I don't think anything's ever wasted. You know, like any of our backgrounds, right? Or the things that we go through. Like God obviously allowed. He could have saved me when I was two. Mm-hmm. You know, He could save anybody by snapping His fingers now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and He didn't. And so, you know, um, Romans eight twenty eight and twenty nine. You know, it says, you know that he works all things together for the good. And the good is that we would be right. conformed to the image of his son. And so I got to believe that, you know, he's going to take those things and make me more like, more like Christ um, in those ways. And so I think he, I think he has used those things. I think the moral code mm-hmm. has brought me into a place of like, probably more than a, maybe a lot of Christians, I think not, you know, not that it's, competition but or anything like that at all i just mean like i sense a a hyper i want to do what's right mm-hmm. regarding christianity all the time you just have a different code now yeah like yeah the code is like i don't line. i don't want it like i i don't want to go far from the scriptures when i teach for instance right because i there's some like i don't mm-hmm. feel like there's some there's it's right you know like i don't i can't go through a passage and not teach everything about it, what's behind it, what's underneath it, why it was there, who wrote it, what the purpose was, what it means for us. Mm -hmm. Like, right. Like, because I, like, I I have this, like, you know, in me that I I can't do what's wrong in that way. I got to do what's right, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, or, you know, so whatever. So, and that, and that isn't always good because I think that falls into like sometimes a moral superiority. Mm -hmm towards people maybe who don't have as sensitive of a conscience in certain things. Mm-hmm. I think there are some things that are right and are wrong, but sure. so God uses that for his good, I think, to make me one who's like, who has that sensitive conscience to to stay close to certain items, which maybe he uses to teach others mm-hmm. because I'm the one who's going to maybe put in the work to learn right. the scriptures and then teach our church or something, right. you know, for instance. Um, that's just one example. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay. So how did that put you on the journey towards where we're at now? You can kind of, you can kind of fast forward this part a little bit, but just as that mindset shifted in that summer project, what types of pursuits did you have at that point and how'd that lead you on this journey to where we're now here in Mandeville, Louisiana, planting a church and, and leading a church at this point? Like how did it, like, like, so your pursuits, you said before, was mm-hmm. you're just the American dream, going to be mm-hmm. rich, going to have yeah, this, gonna, yeah, yeah. Like that was the mindset. Now the gospel's entered in. Right. How did that reshape 
who you naturally are into God leading you down a path of where we're, we are today. Yeah. Um, I think that, yeah, it's definitely made me um, who I am as a Christian too. His, God has reshaped that and sanctified not only the moral side that I just mentioned and wanting to do what's right and kind of feeling that, that you know, guilt if I go far beyond that, um, mm-hmm. which maybe all people don't feel like, you know, sin or not sharing my faith enough or something, which could be fleshly sometimes, I think, but also the motivational aspect of what you're mm-hmm. talking about. Right. You know, the visionary aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Like, I think God sanctified that. There was a reason why I watched business entrepreneurs my whole life. Yeah, for sure. You know, and then now God using that in sanctification, I think he's plain and simply used it for church planting yeah. or used it for other ministry ventures or used it to like, when I daydream, I daydream about creating something out of nothing. Right. Right. Like, right. For sure. because that's what I saw my whole life. Mm-hmm. I watched my family create stuff out of, out of nothing. And so, and so I'll just have ideas to, to, to do that randomly. That stuff comes easy to me. Mm-hmm. Different stuff is harder. Maybe if someone grew up in an academic world, and reading and thought that kind of stuff is easy. That stuff doesn't come natural to me. I have to right. force myself to do it. Mm-hmm. This kind of stuff comes natural in the sense of right. that's what I could, I could, I feel comfortable in that space. Creating without limits. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. like if you remember like Connor, for instance, right? Like he felt really uncomfortable in that space. Mm-hmm. Like when that was required of him. Mm-hmm. Connor he used felt, to be on our staff. Yeah. He felt really comfortable right. in the space of study. study yeah. You know? He felt really comfortable in that space, and he didn't. He felt very uncomfortable. I was. I'm the opposite. Right. Like if I were to pick a job that I would feel most comfortable in, and that I wouldn't have a lot of stress with, it would be that space because mm-hmm. I could do that with no problem, and and it doesn't stress me out mm-hmm. to think about how to start stuff. Right. So I think, I think that's who I am as a Christian, and that makes certain aspects of my pastoral job harder, mm-hmm. like the gentle, right, humble. Um, caring side, the study of scripture side, that makes me have to depend on the grace of God because those are my weaknesses. Right. You know what I mean? And, but for, you know, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, I'm content with my weaknesses because mm-hmm. for the sake of Christ, you right. know, thankfully his grace is sufficient and he gets the glory from knowing, wow, those are your weaknesses. That's what you have to do most often. Yeah, those are my weaknesses, mm-hmm. you know? And, and so, and so now, the other aspect that God has used, which is the starting stuff, the drive, mm-hmm. the motivation to put through the the church planting or other other parachurch organizations or ministries or getting stuff going, you know, like that comes natural, you know, right. and he's used it for his glory now, you know, because I think going into an established church and then starting a church is, is just two very different things, mm-hmm. you know, and I think we see pictures of both types of people in the in the Bible. Right. You know, and Paul had to go around and he was starting stuff. And then in various places, if you watch his three missionary journeys, you right. know, in that, that circle there on the map kind of, um, you know, he started and then he'd go back around and check on them, mm-hmm. you know, but he would go to places that didn't have right. the, the a church, you know. Right. And, uh, and so I think, honestly, I think that could also be taken wrong by certain people like that's just who i am like we start right. stuff i uh, driven and god has used us mm-hmm. in a lot of ways to by his grace i mean he's done it all but like to just to start but there's an aspect of that that's uncomfortable and that pushes against the culture and that um isn't always super refined right right and um 
and then also has to now, I think for me, what I'm learning is, is how do I always, how, which is good, I guess, that I have that moral kind of sensitivity because now mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, what is a shepherd? What does it look like to be humble as a, as a pastor? What does it look like to teach the scriptures? Mm-hmm. What does it look like to care for our members more than anything else, even more than being quote unquote seeker sensitive, because mm-hmm. that's what the call is of the shepherd, right? To care for our members of our church. Right. And then as they're equipped, they'll go reach others. And right. we'll just last with longevity, with caring for them and et cetera. And that'll be why people stay and go reach others and mm-hmm. why they stay, et cetera. And they come to Christ combined with now this like, I'm gonna start stuff. Mm-hmm. Like God has put a good combination there for me to keep me from just being selfishly ambitious because I think I would that my moral right. gut check would come in, or from being just, you know, stagnant because of my moral gut check, but not being ambitious at all. Right. So does that make sense? I mean, I feel like you face a lot of adversity for being like kind of pushing the envelope in that way. I'd say so. Yeah, I think that I create. I could probably create problems for myself, which. I don't know how you if there's any way around it in the fallen world. Like mm-hmm. I think I would face a lot less adversity in just being honest if I was more if I had been more content over yeah. time. Yeah. But you don't feel like that's God that who is who is God has made you to be or yeah. like-, like I think even in past ministry experiences, if I would have been just content mm-hmm. in one stationary place to just love people. Right. And do, you know, and that's not a bad thing, but that, you know, I'm saying like, if I was like that, I'd probably face a lot less adversity, period. We wouldn't have moved. I wouldn't have picked up my family. Right. I wouldn't have had people questioning, you know, are, why are you moving to Louisiana? Or criticize that. Mm-hmm. Here in Louisiana, we probably wouldn't have people who feel like, you know, like, you know, do, I don't know, do they care about me or do they care about the or they care about the mission going forward only? Like, is it personal or is it just mm-hmm. that? Yeah. Like, there would probably be a lot less of that, which is not never an excuse for that. Yeah. Like, that, those are my own faults and making sure I do what a pastor is called to do. Mm-hmm. And yet I have a drive to start churches. Like, I don't know. I, I'm just not perfect in that balance yet. Sure. And I would, never will be. But I think probably what I'm alluding to is if I was, if, if I was more content, like, and I want to be that. I want to be that. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. Right. You know, if I had been and there was no entrepreneurial drive, drive, it would be, it would be, I think a a lot, a lot easier. I think I would be able to just sit there and shepherd a church and people would feel loved and cared for and they could be there forever Mm -hmm. and they could trust us. And then, and there was, there would be no polarizing effect to leave Mm -hmm. at all, you know? And so I want to, I'm working on that side of me mm-hmm. right now. Right. Like I want to become that mm-hmm. as well as allow God to use me in what comes natural, which is right. just a, a Vision, almost the, pushing, yeah, the, kind of the fearlessness. But I don't want to forsake that. I see how that has been detrimental exactly. to me right. and to my, right. so that's, what I'm, if I'm, there's anything I'm working on a lot right now, it's, it's um, you know, gentleness. Mm-hmm. It's humility, it's shepherding, it's caring for the members and saying, you know what, if we never grow or start anything else, like I'm, I'm blessed by God right? to just, that rubs against my nature in some way because it kind of feels like I should be doing something more. Yeah. 
but that's pride. There's a lot of, there's pride in that as well. Mm. You know, like I want to be able to be content if, if we have a church, if we have our families, you know, you know, we see Paul say, shepherd the flock of God that is among you or Peter. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and we have a flock and this is our flock and we don't have a different flock. We don't have more. Right. We don't have less. This is who we have. Mm-hmm. And so I want to be content in that and say, these are my, this is my family. This, these are my sheep. Like what a privilege that God has given me to be entrusted to right. care for these people. And that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to be content and I want to just be here forever. Yeah. Like I, if we never grow, like I don't want that polarizing effect in a lot of different ways. I want people to come in and feel like it's just a good family. I can trust there and there's no reason for me to go. I can just keep growing. Right. While at the same time, how does that now combine with mm-hmm. the fact that I do believe God is going to continue to use us to start churches and yeah. ministries that that could help the world as well. Well, I think yeah. it can also be used greatly in someone's life who is content, but maybe needs to grow a little bit in right. willing to face adversity, willing yeah. to to lead mm-hmm. um, out of a conviction mm-hmm. when they don't see the path ahead of them. Yeah, yeah, I think there could be the opposite right. that, from what I experienced. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Right. I think um, you know one thing I'll say, and then we'll we'll kind of end on our our questions, but is one thing that I'm hearing from you that I think is a great lesson, Josh just alluded to it, is that right doesn't always mean easy. Like sometimes doing the right thing right. means that we're going to do things that make us uncomfortable mm-hmm. and even even cause criticism. Because yeah. when you do things for the Lord, it definitely uproots everyone's elf, everyone else's um, comfortable, comfortable nature, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so that's going to happen. But at the same time, I think, you know, it's awesome to hear how God's just continue to refine you and shape you and make you a better pastor. And, um, you know, we're very thankful at the field to have you as mm-hmm. our pastor and, and that you're thinking that way. Yeah. And I'll say, too, you know, I've known you for a long time. That is definitely true of you. I've never known you and and I'm in, I'm different, but we've always been two peas in the pod of, I remember sitting in the back of my house that I had in the backyard dreaming mm-hmm. about starting stuff. Mm-hmm. Like we've always dreamed about starting stuff. Yeah, that's we've, been the easy ride. Yeah, y'all both start <laughs> things very differently too, but right. y'all are both that entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah, and you know, and Sam, I always say, you know, he's like, uh, our relationship's kind of like a marriage. We have our own marriages, so yeah. nobody <laughs> takes that any wrong way. But we are... <laughs> We are like the, the, uh, we, our strengths are the other person's weaknesses and vice versa. And so, but we're both driven by the same types of things, which is, which I think is unique. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah Sam's yeah. always been that way. Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, like I said, it's, it's not better or worse than anybody else. You know, if anything, I view it as, as worse, you right. know, so I'm not saying it's better. Um, but yeah, like I think. I think there is a a, convi- a deep conviction in my heart to do things the right way and to keep pushing. Mm-hmm. And I think that that if I didn't have that, it would, would probably it would probably be more smooth copacetic. Like <laughs> right. if I didn't have like this urge to like I need to teach every aspect of this passage and I want to teach it rightly and I want to get all of it in. Sure. So we're gonna go for a while here, etc. Like yeah, it'd probably be easier to stay, but that's just not I I can't do it. Right. You, you know what I mean? Like I just can't. Yeah. So. So, or we wouldn't, we wouldn't push and have to raise funds for certain things, et cetera. Like, right, right. And, but like, I just, I can't, while at the same time, I'm realizing how that aspect of my life also has its cons to it. Mm-hmm. Like in, in uh, stress, parenting and timing, right. et cetera. Like, 
And so now I really want to become one day an old gentle man of who's a pastor and who who loves his members and who's content yeah. and who is not polarizing for people who come in the door. Mm-hmm. Like, and people who stay and become our family. Like, I want to be humble and gentle. Like, I mean, see all over the scriptures, the command for us to be gentle. Right. That doesn't come natural to me, mm-hmm. you know? Like, to be gentle or to be um, to be meek, it just doesn't come natural. And so I'm really working on growing in that mm-hmm. um, because I don't want to be unbalanced in that either. Yeah. So it's going to take me a few years now, like, of probably straight, straight focus on this. Yeah, but God will definitely work through and use that. Yeah. To edify our people as well. Yeah. All right. We got three questions. Our ending segment that we're doing now with all of our guests. Three questions we're asking everyone. And uh, you had a little chance to think about these. So I'm uh, excited about You said five resources. I'm like, <laughs> you know. Three to five. Three to five. <laughs> one, two. Three. Yeah. Uh, first question, because I wanted it to be clear, because we're about here at the change up we're about mindsets and especially how the gospel worldview changes our our view of the world and how we approach it so what are the top three ways that knowing christ and shaping your belief through god's word has changed your mindset that's that's a hard question for me to answer i think as i was looking at it like for overall my life so i'm just going to talk about right now that's fine is that okay yeah um, I think one of them is just what we talked about, so I won't go into any further about it, but just the gentleness, the side. gentleness yeah. side, gentleness it's good. and humility and, uh, and not being anxious and therefore demanding in my life because right. you get anxious and you don't give it to God and you start to get demanding because you need to get it from others. So like, how do I, how do I, how am I gentle in that way right. and how can I be humble and, um, and I think that that's a big, the big side shepherd like. Well, it's key because the world tells you leverage your strengths right. and and then hire people or find people to complement your weaknesses. But here, the gospel is transforming you, saying no, like you're going to go after your weaknesses yeah. and let God be glorified through sanctifying mm-hmm. you in that process. And it's going to and out and and it's more and it's okay. Like it's okay to be hurt in that. Mm-hmm. It's okay to. I don't need to like. There's just part of me now that's realizing like my pride, like I need to be right or I need to be or get justice. I need to get justice or I need to get my way. And it's just, it's just really pride. But the word of God is showing me the opposite. Mm-hmm. He's showing me that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble, you know? So like, even if I humble myself to, to loving someone who, where I'm hurt or I look like the weakest link or whatever, mm-hmm. Like I'm pleased because I get to go away knowing that God's grace is upon me. Like learning to be content with that. Or like, you know, we're going to talk about on Good Friday, First Peter chapter two. Mm-hmm. And like when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. But instead what he did was he continued entrusting himself right. to him who judges justly. Like it's just that picture of just continually entrusting myself to mm-hmm. the Lord. I'm learning from Second Timothy a lot. Like... Man, flee youthful passions, um, you know, uh, to, you know, uh, not engage in, you know, any kind of corrupting talk. There's quarrelsomeness and Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone able to, you know, right. I'm learning to to also like good. forgive and lay down burdens and know that God will pick them up. Mm-hmm. Like I can coexist in a world, even in a personal relationship with someone who doesn't like me or is upset or for some reason, because... 
It's just okay. It just has no effect. God will pick it up. You know, I'm learning those types of things. Matthew 11, 28 through 29, like Jesus says, I'm gentle and lowly in heart. Mm-hmm. Like that's who he was, you know? Right. Um, so all of those, all of those pictures, I think of, of God, you know, causing humility and me not finding identity in certain things, et cetera. Yeah. Um, I think is where I want to, is where, what, how the Bible is shaping my worldview right now, mainly. That's awesome. Yeah. And uh, super encouraging. So I think that's one way, but I, yeah. I'll probably just leave it at that. We'll because that. You had, you had a bunch of ways inside of that one way, so yeah. we'll count it. Yeah. Um, number two. I normally always do. <laughs> I got, I got <laughs> right. 50 things it's like in one. like the way. whole council of scripture. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> everything is shaping everything. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> number two. <laughs> number two. What are the top five resources, books, podcasts, sermons, documentaries, <laughs> movies that have shaped your mindset? And I, and I mean over your whole life. Like earlier you talked about a wrestling movie. Like I, I mean those two. Like yeah. all of that has yeah. shaped who you are. So what's hard about that question is I feel like I look for those things just like you guys do mm-hmm. at every point sure. of my life. So I feel like, right. I don't know, it's like hard. How do I say that? I would just go down the list. I'd say, you know, early on, um, I used to watch inspiring movies as a kid, whether it be Disney Rocky. movies that have inspiring music. Mm-hmm. That's what I gravitated towards. You know, even Free Willy. Right, Free Willy. <laughs> I remember Free Willy. Michael Jackson, when that song came oh, on, dude. Right. You know? Tears yeah. are falling. <laughs> um, no. I want to go get a whale. And then I think one. moving <laughs> on to, um, you know, I was always big into listening to the lyrics of songs, so those. I think... Um, so be honest, Eminem was yeah, one. Yeah, uh, high school Eminem. Like, <laughs> I mean, you guys have no idea, but I mean, I was like... Oh, the, I know. The most adamant Eminem fan yeah. <laughs> ever. But more so because of tell his... Tell us about S&C. <laughs> I'll tell you about that. Like, because of his lyrical ability and just because I, I was just like, I would listen to the words, but also because of the motivational aspect. Like, that's what always what I gravitate yeah. to. Well, he's a man of great <laughs> yeah. conviction too. Like, yeah. He cannot tell a lie. Yeah. Eminem, <laughs> that's, if you notice, that's how he gets his name, yeah. Marshall Mathers. Yeah. And then he spells it out, M-E-M. Yeah, yeah. And M, you know. And uh, so when I was free, when we would freestyle, yeah, we got on drugs. We gotta hear more about that. High, you got a freestyle? You could do yeah, that I can't do it <laughs> anymore. And high, God sanctified that out of me. <laughs> the the uh, when we would freestyle in high school, you know, we'd all we'd all had or you know, middle school, high school, we all had different names. My initials were S and C, Sam Sfrancioni. So I want to do the same thing Eminem did and make it a word: S and C, E S S. E-N-C-Y, you know? Essency. So uh, it sounds like a, a black, like, pop singer yeah, artist. Yeah, I know. Essency. <laughs> or a stripper. Or, or like a, yeah. <laughs> so that was my freestyle name. There you go. So we got music, movies. Rocky, about, Rocky. Rocky was always my biggest. I was going to say, you got to say Rocky. Yeah, Rocky was my biggest. I mean... You know, that's what I would watch. I could watch. I just keep watching those things. I think. All I could think about when you were talking about Seth and Newman Center was, "Hey, Father, come on! Hey, Father, come on! <laughs> Throw down a blessing." <laughs> he doesn't know. You haven't watched Rocky? Oh my god! Okay. Nope. Anyway, I've all watched right. all the Rockies. I have no clue what you're talking. So, about. You don't know where he goes before the fight. He yells at, at he Father. Goes, which one? But there's seven there's, Rockies. He does it in ones. the first two, two or three. Yeah. What does he do? He yells for the priest to call down like a blessing from the window of the church, oh, of the Catholic yeah. Church. Oh. Anyway. You know. Oh, like he's on the street. Yeah. And yeah, he yells yeah, yeah. He goes, hey, oh, yeah. Father, call mine. Yeah. Yeah. Rocky, get fired. So that, but then moving into my, my Christian, you know, faith, I think probably the most influential have been John Piper. Mm-hmm. Um, 
even before John Piper was quote unquote like the most popular resource out there. Um, throughout my early high school, my early college years when I was dealing with sorrow. Right. And I had just became a Christian. I, I, I just, I knew about him because someone told me about him. And I literally listened to thousands upon thousands of messages by myself in yeah. my sorrowful years of just becoming a Christian, my mom just dying. So just like, it wasn't when he became like the, you know, th- thing. Like he was still popular back then, but I mean like it, it was just out of like necessity for right. me. Um, Lecrae watching his journey, mm-hmm. um, from, you know, and watching criticism and watching him respond. Uh, mm-hmm. even now his new album, he's coming out. He, mm-hmm. he went through a severe time of just depression and yeah. mistrust of everybody, et cetera. Sure. Um, and so I think that that was a thing for me. Um, you know, and, uh, and so that was a big resource. Uh, that was a big influence. And then right now I'll just give you one. Mm-hmm. I'm reading through a book called Faithful Endurance, which mm-hmm. I just think every pastor should read through. It's just really good. Um, and then influential people, coaches, people who discipled me in college. Well, you're jumping to my third question. Oh, okay. So I'll say, who are your biggest influences <clears throat> slash heroes that you've looked up to throughout your life who've influenced you? So you already said John Piper. Yeah. Uh, you said the coach earlier. What was his name? Uh, Craig Falico. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, uh, he's still in Park Ridge. Him and his son uh, have their own business now. Uh, real estate business and it's funny because he can he keeps the same motivational like <laughs> right. line in his business but him um will witherington who was a guy who mm-hmm. in campus outreach discipled me in college yeah. um and then my father-in-law tim shaped a lot of uh i think my um my more so my character than anything i watched a guy who's just a right kind of a pretty straight laced christian you know sure he was able to help me become probably morally in line with the word of God. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's awesome. Yeah. Right now. Um, you know, I think that that, that book is, it, you know, in regards of all of that, I think what God's doing in my life right now is that book. Um, I meet with a biblical counselor. I'm in counseling once a, once a week to help me grow into those things. Mm-hmm. Um, because it would be too hard to do that with oh yeah my partner in crime and best friend. I'm wondering like yeah <laughs> yeah because no I'll just be just to have an objective. So that's how oh, I'm yeah. growing now with those two combined and and the word of God obviously and uh, but all of those things leading up mm-hmm. have shaped you know have shaped me yeah. Um, well, you've definitely been instrumental in me. And my family's life, like mm-hmm. we're Thank completely you, on a different course than we we were three years ago because yeah. of you two guys. Thanks. Um, so we're so like appreciative of that. Major Chad, no. major Chad props. Well, I mean, it's both. Like I was attracted to your innovative, you know, pushing, driving, and both of y'all were like that. So it was like I just felt so at home. And then for me, like talk about sanct- like God using personalities for His glory. Mm. It's not like he took that away from you guys. Mm-hmm. You know, like he he just used it for himself. So now I'm coming into this this church family and I, I see two guys that are just like-minded. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I can still be like this? Mm-hmm. Like, and so it was so comfortable to know that like, yes, there's plenty that needs to be sanctified in me, but I can still leverage or God can leverage mm-hmm. my strengths that he's given to me. And, and that well, was- Well, because you don't want to, in coming to know Christ, you're going to become someone completely different, but- but you, but I, you know, God has used 
all those experiences prior to coming to know Christ for a reason. Yeah, you know? yeah, I can relate to so much you said in that. You know what he's used mm-hmm. in my life yeah. that were mistakes. They were out of my own pride and ego, and he's used it all and yeah. just continuously doing that. Mm-hmm. So. Great, man. Awesome, awesome thanks, story. I, did you learn anything, Chad? Yeah, a few, a few little details. Okay. Uh, but, no, nah, man, thanks for coming on and doing this with us. It's fun. Yeah, of course. We'll do it all again right. soon. Hope you all enjoyed. Thanks for listening to the Change Up Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this episode, but most importantly, we hope it helped. And if it did, please share it with a friend or someone you may be discipling. Also, you can like us on Facebook and Instagram. You can reach us via either of those channels if you have any questions or topics that you'd like us to cover. We appreciate your guys' support and would also like to thank the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana for hosting and producing this podcast. If you don't have a home church, then please look it up at thefieldnola.com. We're not currently holding services due to the COVID-19 crisis, but if you go to The Field Church on Facebook, you can see all that we are doing for the members. Daily devotionals, daily praying through the Psalms. We have a live streaming of our services on Sunday morning at 1015, and just a bunch more ways to get connected to a very active church body. So thanks again, guys. Be blessed. Be blessed.